You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the surface of music and tech. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa, and I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors, a PR firm that specializes in music innovation, music tech, and so forth. You've heard me talk about the tidal wave of music creation coming down the road, and you've heard me talk about the inevitability of transparency in the music industry, but it's been a while since we've talked on the podcast about the convergence of the two. And as more and more artists are writing, recording, and releasing music while having access Access to more information about the industry than ever. It's shifting the ways deals are constructed for artists. It's happening with record labels, but it's also happening in new ways. And today's guests will help me explore new ways in which artist financing is emerging and influencing artists and the industry. Peter Harvey is a co-founder and CEO of RoyFi, where he's working to democratize access to capital for the creative class through non-recourse advances to artists at rates that are significantly lower than what incumbents are charging. Peter has over a decade of public and private market under writing and structuring experience across various roles in his work with large family offices and institutional clients, clients. Um, having invested billions of dollars across the globe on behalf of clients, he began researching the music financing market in 2019 and was surprised by the disconnect between the quality of catalog assets and the high rates that artists are being charged to access capital. Through collaboration with Don Griffith and Corey Whiting, RoyFi was born, and here's Peter on the show. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hi, Dimitri. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. You know, you were in finance, and I'm curious, why did you dive into music, Peter? Well, I think the the starting point is you have to understand that I have absolutely no musical talent, but I love music. So uh, there was there was really no option for me to come in on the creative side. Uh, so I had to find my way into into the industry uh, through means that were probably a little better suited to my skill set. And uh, here we are with a, with a finance uh, company or financial technology company here in the industry. Um, but we actually go back a little bit further uh, than. 2019 to some work that I was doing in the royalty space, but actually in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and I was doing this for some of my pension clients uh, when I was managing money uh, for institutional investors. And uh, we really, really liked the structure of intellectual property investing. We got to understand uh, the real risks and the, the regulations around purchasing royalties. Um, and, you know, one thing that happened there was uh, others found the space as well, and in particular, a, a large Canadian pension fund found the, the pharmaceutical royalty space, put a ton of money into it, and uh, effectively soaked up all of the liquidity in the market. And there goes that opportunity. But we've done a lot of work to to understand what's going on and, and how to value these assets and how to underwrite the risk. And so, started looking into what what other industries look similar to in market therapeutics and the royalties that are uh, that are generated from from the sale, and uh, you don't have to make that big of a leap to to see the music industry is quite similar, but actually with significantly more favorable uh, structures to copyright law versus patent law. Copyrights are significantly longer, and when you when you take into account the increase in in streaming and streaming prevalence in the market. Uh, it's actually a lot lower uh, capital need to uh, you know, distribute ro uh, music royal or music catalog and collect those royalties as compared to you know the distribution networks that you know approved therapeutics have to go into. So all of that is to say, you know, I started doing intellectual property investing you know back in 2018, 2019, and got introduced to uh, my co-founder Don Griffith in in 2020 uh, to learn a little bit more about the music royalty space and the alternative financing models that were uh, in the market. And if you take the approach of coming at the music industry and music catalog, uh, if you're coming at it from a risk perspective and you understand what the risk is, and then you find out that artists are being charged 40 or 50% uh, you know, interest rate equivalents, um, you say, wow, that doesn't make any sense from a risk perspective. So there's a an opportunity to come in here and cut the market in half while still having a great business model. Um, and that's really why we started, started RoyFi is very simply, 
you know, I love music. I wanted to, to be able to help give back to the, the creators that have given me so much just through the creation of their art and the consumption. Um, and there's a, there's a great business case for doing it better, more transparent. And in, you know, what I would argue is the kind of the right risk appropriate way. Wow. It's, it's really nice to hear somebody coming from a different industry to see the, the possibilities here in a, in a way that's, that's just purely based on the numbers. Obviously you're here because you like music and you're interested in supporting uh, musical creators, but it's nice to hear somebody who's got another background that says, no, there's actually, there's a, there's potential here that can actually save artists money, make artists more money um, just based on the, the, the numbers alone, because we don't hear that every day about the music industry. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's really it, it was kind of eye opening to me when I when I found out what what was being charged and you know it sometimes takes a, a different lens to you know come in and say well you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should um, and that's that's I think kind of one of the founding ethos of uh, of Wi-Fi. Got it. So also joining us today is Lars Murray. He leads business development for RoyFi. A music industry veteran, Lars has been involved with new media at record labels since the 1980s. He's worked for Ryko Disc, Virgin Records, and Columbia Records, and has performed and recorded in two bands. He was Senior Vice President of Strategic Partnerships at Pandora, and he's a partner at Pop Cult Worldwide, which produces and markets premium podcasts for the entertainment industry, including Disney, Disney Music Group, Interscope Records, and Metallica. Here with your Roy Fi hat on. Welcome to the show, Lars. Thanks, Dimitri. And Good how did be here. thank you? How did you get involved, Lars, with uh, with Roy Fi? So um, it's actually kind of a funny story. So if you'll if you'll stay with us, if you'll uh, indulge me for a second. So last year, twenty twenty two, at Music Biz. Um, I was uh, I was actually meeting up with a podcast partner, and ended up at a table over a drink with uh, with a guy uh, who sort of finance looking guy uh, sitting to my left, and uh, I asked him uh, what he do when when the uh, when our host uh, had to go and take a phone call. Uh, I asked him what he did, and he told me that he was uh, disrupting the payday loan model in independent artist finance. And I said, sure you are. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really believe him. Um, and long story short, uh, asked, this is Peter Harvey, who we're talking to, okay. asked him to, uh, to, to demonstrate that, that he was actually able to do this right then and there. Um, and that uh, he was going to be able to provide capital to do this, that he had the technology that was working. And it didn't. He was able to uh, to convince me within within a week that he was doing it, uh, and doing it for the right reasons. And I uh, I set aside my policy of not taking on any more uh, consulting clients at the time, uh, and decided because uh, he was a person doing the right thing for the right reasons that this would be uh, a good company to, to to be involved with. And uh, so now we've been working together about a year and a half, and I don't regret a moment of it. Awesome. Great. Well, um, this will be fun to have you both here uh, talking through some of the, the issues here. Peter, I'm curious, going back to you, what does the music finance landscape look like? Can you give us a, a high level view? Yeah, I mean, the, the landscape is, is really dominated and, and really no surprise here by the, the high level catalog acquisitions, the Springsteen deals, the Dylan deal, the Bieber deal. Um, you know, and those are, are really great validating uh, events for for the industry. Um, however, they don't really touch the the smaller artists. It's great that BlackRock wants to come in and, and put a couple billion dollars. Same thing with KKR. That kind of validates uh, the asset class, if you will. Music rights is an asset class. Um, but where we see a, a significant uh, gap is is in the lower end of the market. And, you know, the lower end doesn't mean you know just up and coming artists or up and coming songwriters it it really means anybody who's making less than a million dollars a year which is a huge swath of the industry um and, and there it's still a relatively you know wild west approach um you know the the labels are actually pulling out of that part of the market uh to an extent because you know they're trying to de-risk their investments um you have a, a couple of different providers coming in and, and seeing the opportunity and trying to capitalize on that opportunity. But 
Um, you know, I think in, until we started RoyFi, there's nobody who's interested in, you know, partnering with creatives at, at the lower end of the market and lower to middle end of the market, kind of the, you know, the blue collar creatives in the industry, those that, you know, that do it, but don't drive a Rolls Royce, um, you know, and make a living. Um, so, you know, I think that, a lot, you know, to, to sum that up, it's, you know, there's a ton of liquidity being pumped into the top end of the market, but the bottom end of the market is still pretty dry. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to change. Got it. And I'm curious, uh, I mean, we're, we're hearing, it's interesting. Artists used to always just talk about getting a label, getting a label deal, getting a label deal. And now you have a phase where people were just talking about distribution, distribution, going direct. And now there's more of this conversation about other ways to finance your career. Um, it's almost like it's a real shift, honestly. And I'm curious why it's become easier to issue advances on royalties in recent years, unlocking this possibility, and what kind of technical or technological innovations have played a role in that change. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the elephant in the room is obviously streaming, right? Streaming is, has increased the amount of data that everybody has. Um, you know, sometimes there's too much data. Sometimes there's not enough data. Um, but, you know, the fact that we have streaming and we have granular data on what's going on at the consumption level uh, means that, you know, groups like RoyFi have more information to make informed decisions, uh, you know, and, and Therefore, we're able to bring capital into the market. It's not just a, hey, I've got a friend at the label. The label says that they're they're shipping out a ton of albums. Um, you know, this is a this is a sure thing. Well, you know, you, you can't really underwrite that. But what you can underwrite is you know, twelve to, to eighteen months worth of hard earnings data from a from a distributor. Um, so you know, the first thing is is data and and its availability, and the second thing is. We've got significant improvements in technology that allow us to ingest that data, turn it into usable insights that we can then, um, you know, get to a point where we're comfortable making an offer of, hey, you know, RoyFi will give you $10,000 and we're confident that we'll collect the next, you know, uh, 10000 or $12,000 uh, of earnings that come off of that catalog and, you know, it really is a question of of understanding the risk. And without the data, you can't understand that risk. We have that data now. The risk is in front of us. It's very prevalent. Um, and therefore, you know, we are able to raise money. Uh, we're able to get a financial partner that uh, that's willing to put money into the space. Um, and that's, I think, the, the biggest change um, and, and why you, you see more companies wanting to be involved in royalties. So that's on the that's kind of on the um, on the supply side of of of, uh, of the money. I'm curious of on the demand side. What what's changed there? You think that that creates this opportunity for companies like yours? Yeah, everybody wants to own their rights. They see the value of it, right? You know, they see the value of having control. It used to be a situation where you could only go through a label to to get it, you know, to get your music out into uh, in front of consumers, but um, because you know, all of the tools that an artist needs to become successful are, are really open source and available to them. You know, you have the, you know, the rise of the entre or the entrepreneurial artist that treats themselves like a small business and, and approaches this, you know, like a job. And they say, I think I can do this. And, you know, as a result, I don't have to sign this 360 deal. I don't have to sign, you know, uh, with a major, um, you know, because I want to do it myself, and and that's not to that's not to say that there's anything wrong with signing with a major, but there are you know there are different uh, deals that are best for each artist, and I think just the uh, the availability of a, of an alternative path is has obviously you know resulted in a need for capital, and you know previously capital only came from from a label. Lars, as it's, someone who's worked in. Yeah, a couple record labels. I'm dying. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I want to add a couple of things here. I mean, one one is that you know that opportunity is there. There's more transparency. The data drives more transparency. It drives more of a cultural of, of transparency in the industry, which is the opportunity for both the artists and for companies like RoyFi. Um, but um, and the other the other thing that's really key is that you need to make it dead simple. You know, and just you know the data 
drives the ability of Roy Fi to create something that's dead simple. Um, but that's one of the reasons, one of the major reasons you haven't seen this stuff before. There are actually two things. One is the willingness of the people who are paying the royalties to be transparent about the data, not just collecting it, but actually having a whole class of companies that will be transparent. Um, and then the ability on the other side of the artists and the teams, and this is sometimes even a bigger challenge to, you know, take advantage of it. And what I loved about Royfi when I first saw it was that it was something that was very, very easy to understand from the, from the end user standpoint. So it's, it's kind of both of those things. It's interesting. It's almost like for all the um, criticism that streaming services have received for these fractions of pennies and this fragmentation and the distance between fans and artists, there's this flip side of access to data that's pushing towards transparency that's leading to these types of opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. We got to take a quick break. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the terms of these deals and also what are artists doing with these advances? We'll be right back. Hello, Music Tectonics listeners. It's Shaley here with some super exciting programming updates for the conference in October. Back for the fifth year is the Music Tech Investment Panel. Always a fan favorite, as our panelists peel back the layers of what investors are looking for. Hear from Rishi Patel of Plus 8 Equity, Bruce Hamilton of Mech Ventures, and Sony Ventures' Joe Two. Moderated by none other than Tatiana Sirisano, Senior Music Industry Analyst and Consultant at Media Research. She is an expert at what's going on in the industry, and she will guide this conversation flawlessly. As always, we are staying on the pulse of what's happening in the industry, so naturally I had to program a music and gaming panel. Hear from David Knox of Reactional Music, Maria Egan of Riot Games, and Sony Ventures Investor as we dive into the explosion of music and gaming and esports. Moderated by expert Vicky Nauman, hear how music and gaming are connected more than ever before. All right, now before we get back to the episode, there's one last conversation I wanted to highlight happening at this year's event. We'll be joined by Andrea Gleason, CEO of TuneCore, for a fireside chat with Kristen Robinson, and I'm so excited to hear what these ladies have come up with. If you haven't bought your badge yet, be sure to go to musictectonics.com to purchase it now. Back to the episode. Okay, we're back. And Peter, I wanted to ask you, um, before we got into a little bit about sort of this, this transformation of how artists and the industry are thinking about financing, how did the terms for these kinds of deals get set? And how did you approach them at RoyFi? Yeah, the, the terms of, of the deals are really based on, you know, two factors. It, it's what is the, the risk? And, you know, the risk really is, you know, who is paying your royalties? So a, a small label that uh, is paying out you know, $100,000 a year in royalties is significantly more risky than uh, a TuneCore or a, a Sony or a, a BMI. So it, it starts with you know, who's, who's, paying, who's gonna pay the, the royalties out because one of the things that, that we do is we step into the, the shoes of the artist and we get paid directly from, from the source that's paying their royalties. We don't say, hey, Pay the, the artist first, and then you know you pay you pay Royfi artist, um, and, and that's important because these aren't loans, um, and we're not taking the artist credit risk, right? We don't. I don't. I don't care whether or not artist A or B has a, a credit score of one hundred uh, or eight hundred uh, because they're not the one that's paying me back. Um, the the second portion of of the risk calculation is is how far out are we going? Are we going out? You know three months? Are we going out a year? Are we going out two years of future earnings? Um, and, you know, just like, uh, you know, you would price uh, a term loan differently. Um, you know, we price our, we price our advances based on how long we expect for them to recoup. Now, there's a, an important nuance there, which is, you know, what we expect the, the advance to recoup and the amount of time that we expect the advance to recoup in is, really irrelevant to the pricing once the deal has been done. Because if we expect the advance to take two years to recoup and it takes five years to recoup, our structure never changes. That's that's the risk that, that Royfi bears. We don't have recourse on the catalog. Um, it's very simple, you know, a very simple transaction. You get $10,000 today. Our fee is $2,000. You know, we're going to collect the next $12,000. That's the entirety of the deal. Can never go longer. 
it can it can decrease though if it, if it takes less time. So the time can decrease. Got it. And the fee as well. Uh, so you know we don't have a situation where if you if we do a, if we underwrite the advance to two years, you have a hit song. It pays off in one year. You're not still stuck paying that two thousand dollar fee. Um, we actually have options in our agreement that allow you to take out the advance with a lower fee. So kind of baking in all of the positive elements of a, a revolving line of credit without the the pitfalls of compounding interest and foreclosure or or actually securitizing the, the catalog. Um, and those are those are things that we think are, are really important, but they're they're nuances. They're they're not things that are necessarily understood by the entire industry. Well, it's interesting because even just as you were saying those words, and and you know, I've had to listen closely to keep up with this finance guy here on our podcast. But even as you were just saying those words, I was like, shoot, maybe I should start releasing some music. There's access to cash for this. And I'm like, wait a minute, no, I can't just do that. But it did. I did have this like psychological switch of sort of like incentivizing creativity for my own life and like you know doing something commercial. Just kind of funny. Which leads me to my next question. I'm curious how have artists use advances because I suspect as people hear how this is operating, because you hear the either the success stories or the travesties of. Um, advances from labels that never get paid, you know, never get recouped and all that kind of stuff. But I'm sure, curious if you can share a story of an artist that made the most of their advance in this kind of setup. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got a, we've got a client of ours that's, that's been, you know, almost the poster child of exactly how to manage your career as an entrepreneurial artist. Um, mm-hmm. And it's an artist called, J, uh, with, you know, his, his performing name is Jay Monty. Um, he actually came to us as he was getting out of a, out of a major label deal where, where he didn't, uh, you know, feel as though he was necessarily receiving the attention that he, he thought he should have. Um, so he's coming out of this situation where he has his back catalog. He's got a ton of projects that he wants to release, but he doesn't have, you know, the finishing capital to, to get those projects finalized as well as live his life while those projects are being released. So, you know, we actually had, uh, had Jay come through and he took an advance, uh, in 2021. Um, I won't say the dollar amount, but I'll say that, uh, his, his earnings at the time he qualified for, uh, you know, about eight months worth of, of future royalties that he could roll forward. He took that money, uh, finished up his project started releasing his project. And by the time that he was done with that project, after about a month and a half, two months, when we started to see those earnings come in, uh, he had quadrupled his earnings um, just because he had the ability to, to actually sit pat, wait and execute on the, the vision that he had um, by just you know rolling forward a couple months uh, of his future, future royalties um, to the point where you know, he went from in 2021 having a total of 1.7 million streams to in 2022 he had 6.7 million streams. Um, he's he's absolutely a rock star um, for how he's taken the proceeds and and kind of rolled it out into a career that's now completely self-sustaining. Uh, I think the last time that uh, that I looked at his earnings, he is making on a monthly basis now the same amount that he took for his original advance. And that's just a really, really cool story because you can see how it tangibly uh, results in you know a, a significant pickup in your career. And when you own all of those rights, you know, the, the fruits of making that investment into yourself, you know, are, are really, really uh, quite impressive. That is super cool. Now he just has to tell other artists so they understand how to how to you how to kind of budget and plan for something like this and take advantage of it and see where they go with it. Super cool. In some ways, the democratization of royalty advances is the last frontier in the Indiafication of the music business. Lars, I'm curious, given your background, how do you see this impacting self-managed artists? Well, I think first first of all, yeah, now they can afford to do the things that they always wanted to do without having to put themselves into endless hock. Um, and I mean, that's that is the main thing, and you know, that's the that's the market that we're going straight after. Um, but you know, as I as I alluded to before, there's still a lot of work to be done, um, and self managing is very very different, uh, very very difficult. Um, and you know, not everybody is a Jay Monty. 
um, which is, you know, one, one of the things that we've kept in mind very carefully is that, you know, we can't only serve the self-managed artists. We can provide them with an option that's not available to, to anybody elsewhere um, with, you know, with, with the kind of friendly terms and, the, and, and a little bit of, I, to, to, to put a not so, no, I, I guess I'd call it handholding. It's a little bit of handholding because we're not, we're being very careful not to get people in over their heads. Um, and, you know, that's why we only take the short terms and, and we really want to make sure that we're not um, doing something that's going to get somebody in a, in a position where, geez, I'm sorry, I took that money early <clears throat> because now I can't afford to do anything else. And now I've, you know, given my catalog over. Um, on the other hand, the other, the other thing that we're doing, because we realize that people have, uh, you know, people who have teams should also be available or should also have this available to them. Um, we also can help out uh, and we want to work with, and we're, we're seeking out partnerships with indie labels, indie distributors, you know, um, anybody who's along the royalty stream, uh, along that, along the chain that, uh, is, is interested in speeding up their, their, their payouts so that they can invest in their career. Um, so that's, you know, I think there's at, at the very, at the very, very low end of the spectrum, we're, we're something completely new. And, uh, if you go a little, little higher up the ladder in terms of, of resources, um, we're something that's just just maybe a better alternative than what's been out there before. Um, and and again, we really want to encourage people to invest uh, wisely in their career. And those are the other kinds of partnerships that we're doing, uh, which is the kind of partnerships that make the money that they take in to invest in their career, make those dollars go further. And even in some cases, uh, go directly to recouping their advances that they've taken from us. Yeah. And, you know, I'd, I'd add on to that as well, that, you know, we're not only looking at the individual rights holders uh, as, you know, a potential client for Royfi. You know, we work with independent publishers, we work with independent labels, independent distributors, uh, and we can, you know, obviously they have cataloged themselves. So we can actually help to provide capital to to even the, the business apparatus around the independent artist to help make sure that the the you know, the money that's going into these careers is well spent. And, and that's, I think, a, a really important thing because, you know, while an artist can come to us and take an advance and do whatever it is that they want to with, with the proceeds of that advance, um, our preference is always to, to keep the money in, inside of their career so that they can actually, you know, realize a return on investment for those dollars. And, you know, it's part of what we're doing outside of advances at Royfi is we're also partnering with, you know, good offshoots for, uh, for the money. So, you know, we have a partnership with Foundy, um, for example, to provide uh, digital marketing campaigns to artists where, you know, 100% of what would otherwise be a revenue share to Royfi actually goes back to the artists to recoup their advance because we want to encourage good behavior with, with the capital. And we say, hey, if we can de-risk um, you know, investing in banner ads uh, by guaranteeing you that, you know, up to 10% of every dollar that you spend with Foundy goes back to recoup your advance. You know, that's just us saying, hey, you know, that's good for Royfi because what's good for your career is good for Royfi is good for you. And, you know, it's all part of just trying to actually align ourselves with um, with the, the creators in the industry because we think that, you know, uh, that's, that's going to be the right horse to bet on for the next you know, 20 or 30 years. I think the, the whole industry is, is coming to that realization. Um, and I think that's a, a really important component to what we're doing. I love that aspect of including an, an element of investing back into the growth of the catalog and the career as, as part of the model. Super cool. Are there any other new developments that you think are going to flow from this type of innovation on, on the financing front? Yeah, I think, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is uh, it's going to become increasingly more difficult for uh, bad deals to get peddled um, to, to artists. Artists are going to have options. Uh, publishers, uh, well, not publishers, but um, songwriters are going to have options with regard to what they want to do with their catalog. Um, and, you know, hopefully this, this results in, you know, significant uh, catalog ownership and, and re just general rights ownership um, for for creatives in the industry. Um, you know, I think that a bigger piece of the pie going to to the creative class is 
is only going to help um, you know the product that's being produced for for consumers like myself. Um, and I think that's that's going to be one of the I think the the really big things here. You know, a lot of what's going on in, in the industry, uh, especially in the third party finance space, is um, you know a way for people to come in and. Uh, acquire catalog in an inexpensive way where, you know, if I come in and give you an eight year advance and then all of a sudden, you know, two years into that advance, you don't have uh, any more money and you're not going to see any more money for two more years or for six more years. Um, you know, what are your options? You know, well, it's really convenient if I say, Hey, you can sell your catalog if you need more, more money. Well, that, first of all, that would de-risk my advance. Right, because if if you have an outstanding advance and uh, you then go sell your catalog, you've got to take care of the the advance before um, the the rights uh, can actually transfer. Um, and then if you're selling it into a captive platform that's going to administer that investment, all of a sudden, you know, you've just created a synthetic ownership through administration. Um, and, and I think that that's you know one of the one of the things that. Uh, I hope doesn't happen. Um, you know, there's a, there's a couple of players out there right now that are doing that. And, um, you know, with more access to fair and transparent deals um, and more education to, to creatives uh, about financing and, you know, the, the various pitfalls, um, I think, I think we can, we can kind of head that one off at the pass. The alternative is, we don't, and that happens. And um, you know, I think uh, I think you'll you'll kind of see a trail of tears at that point in time, which is you know something that we're we're really hopeful isn't going to happen. We, we don't think it's going to happen. We're fighting pretty hard to to make sure that it doesn't happen. On a rosier note, I yeah. expect to see a lot mm-hmm. of innovation and use of funds. Um, for example, you know, it's always been hard to turn streaming uh, revenues into uh, fast investment in things that are very timely, things like investing in touring or travel, if you're just a songwriter or, uh, or, a, or a studio musician, or merch, things that, uh, that can really bring a high return on that investment, but that usually require a lot of waiting. So um, how, these, how, the, how the proceeds from a, from a ROYFI advance are used there's going to be all kinds of different stories. And we expect to see a lot of innovation on that front as well. Um, and it's one of the things that we're really, uh, really, because it's, it's so new, the concept of it, it's something that we really have to, to drill down on with artists because it, it kind of sounds too good to be true sometimes that they can actually access these funds and invest them in themselves. You know, they, they, a lot of people just sort of are resigned to the fact that this stuff is not available. So uh, we think just that the mere availability of it is going to drive a lot of decision making, a lot of things that we can't even predict. But the thing that is really most interesting to me and, you know, going back to, hey, maybe I should do this, as you said earlier, Dimitri. Yeah. I mean, if, if I can cash in some of my Spotify royalties and do a run of limited edition T-shirts at a very high margin, that's a great use of funds. Or if I need to fly to L.A. to, to, to go work in the room with a producer and I couldn't afford to do that before. You know, maybe now people can afford to do that, and that can maybe help turn uh, a one-hit viral wonder into uh, into an artist career. I love it, and I could see in this moment of kind of like TikTok skyrocketing creators of people being able to respond much more quickly and, and really build a career off something that might have just been uh, done on a lark at, at, at first, or, or kind of feeling more like it's just like I'm a creator rather than an artist. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I'm an artist too. And I, I can actually go with it. So I could see yeah, in, I mean, in a way it's like, yeah. it's like, it's, it's, it's like a whole new concept around financing for user generated stuff as well, which it, we're, you know, we're right at this cusp right between sort of like, are you an artist? Are you a career musician or are you a creator? Is this UGC like where, and it's like now that we're at this place, it, 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 it it's like the timing of, of this type of financings uh, right, right in the right spot, which is super interesting. Yeah. And, and, and just to, to triple underline, it's not just the individual artists who can take advantage of right. this. It's also, you know, small indie labels, you know, small publishers, um, you know, anybody who, who really needs to invest in their career 
um, you know, we're, we're making, you know, it's, we're making it look more like a bank than a credit bank rates than credit card rates. Mm, um, because right. nobody really wants to be in credit card debt and we don't want to send people into debt. Awesome. All right. We got to take another quick break. And when we come back, let's widen out. Um, let's talk about some other trends and who else we're tracking and all that kind of stuff. We'll be right back. The news cycle of the music industry and innovation in particular is accelerating at such a fast pace, it can be hard to keep up. That's why I launched Rock Paper Scanner, a free newsletter you can get in your inbox every Friday morning. Check out bit.ly slash rpscanner. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash rpscanner. I scan hundreds of outlets for you from the music trades to the tech blogs, from the music gear mags to lifestyle outlets so that you don't have to. I handpick everything music tech, including industry revenue numbers, AI, cool new user tools, the live music and recording landscapes, partnerships and acquisitions, and everything else a Music Tectonics podcast listener would want to know. Open a browser right now and punch in bit.ly slash rpscanner to sign up right now. Go ahead, hit pause and go to bit.ly slash rpscanner or find the episode's blog post on musictectonics.com and find that link. Happy scanning, but for now, happy listening. All right, we're back. And, and I'm curious, uh, Lars, when you widen out beyond RoyFi, what other music innovation trends are you keeping an eye on? Or Peter, whoever wants to jump in, I'd love to hear from both of you, kind of like trends you guys are watching. Lars, you want to jump in? Well, I think, yeah, I think I, I touched on it a little bit. It's just the, the increasing uh, compression of timelines. Uh, and whether it's, whether it's TikTok, uh, whether it's whatever the next thing is, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, it, it's, I think that the, the promise is being able to collect more revenue streams and different revenue streams, uh, whether it's, you know, from, from, you know, licensing, whether it's from sinks or whatever. Um, it's really hard to single anyone out. I think it's more, it's more about timelines. It's mm, more about, you know, being able to move quickly. Um, and, you know, a lot of things kind of roll on in similar fashion. And what we're trying to, uh, to, uh, where we're trying to, to, to get into the, into the story, uh, is at a place where people do start to think about what they should have rather than what's been available to them forever. Um, and if you just put an old royalty structure on top of a fast moving, uh, you know, TikTok universe for, for lack of a better term or, or, or Peloton or whatever, um, then you're just kind of repeating all the same, the same mistakes. And, um, and there is a speed that's available now. There is a transparency. Uh, and again, I, I, I see more secular trends rather than kind of, kind of outlining one, one specific technology. In fact, I've often found that when I dive too hard into one specific technology, or or trend, uh, you go down a rabbit hole and then you miss the other three that happened at the mm. same time. Oh, I like the macro trend of, of just timeline. I mean, everything in life, in yeah. society, in the world right now feels like it's operating at a breakneck pace and uh, innovation itself, but certainly music creation. And, and what does that mean? Like what's, you know, how that changes formats of songs and uses of songs. So it makes sense that that, that would be something to keep an eye on and all the things that go along with yeah. it. And, and I wasn't going to say AI because that's another whole rabbit hole that we could <laughs> dive down. But I mean, that's going to have that will everything that's new will have consequences with regard to everything that, that RoyFi is doing. And that's the great thing about being a young company, you know, that is tech tech based, but also bringing some capital to the to the to the, fan, to the story um, that that we have some flexibility in in what we support. You know, and we've started with streaming royalties because you know, as Peter outlined, it's a, it's a predictable, uh, revenue stream that's, uh, that's securitizable. And, uh, uh, but there, there, are, as the timelines get faster, keeping up with the timelines on that and taking advantage of stuff and, and while making hay while the sun shines, is really important. Yeah. Peter, what about you? What are some music innovation trends you're keeping an eye on? Well, to keep with the, uh, the non-rosy trend that I've, I've taken <laughs> here, you know, I, I always go back to what impacts the cost of capital to the industry, um, because that's one of the things that we're trying to fight. Right? It's you know we're trying to bring the cost down to to the rights holder, 
so that they can invest in themselves and they have a reasonable hurdle. And one of the things that is artificially, um, but rightfully propping up the cost uh, of capital and the risk in the industry is streaming fraud. And, you know, the fact Mm -hmm. that it's so prevalent um, and, and, you know, it's so pervasive across the entire industry is, you know, is something that we watch very, very closely. And, you know, um, it's, it's really at the end of the day, our biggest risk as a company that's providing capital. Um, and, and it's, it's something that, uh, I think the whole industry needs to be focusing on, um, you know, in, in a really big way because it, it's, what's going to keep, uh, you know, music from, you know, basically being, you know, the same as any other industry in, in the world that, you know, is regulated and does fight fraud, you know, pretty aggressively. Um, you know, there's, there's plenty of companies out there that are, are kind of taking up this fight, but until it's, uh, kind of ubiquitous across the industry and it's not used as a tool by artists and labels, um, you know, it, it's something that ends up hurting the entire industry. Um, you know, and it's something that we're really mindful of. Awesome. Um, not awesome that it's happening, but awesome that you guys are sharing your thoughts on these things. And uh, one more thing that we like to do on the podcast is widen out our network a bit for our listeners. And I'm curious, uh, before you go, what are some other thought leaders, companies, or writers that you think we should be paying attention to for inspiration, or at least that you're paying attention to? Uh, who wants to go first? Yeah, I can jump in there. Um, you know, I think some of uh, on the individual's that really have have a really good pulse on the industry um, and where it's headed, both from a from a legal and a technological perspective. You know, the two that come to mind are Cliff Fluey and, and Pete Downton. Um, you know, those guys are on the absolute cutting edge. Um, but from a company perspective, uh, you know, this is one that uh, you know, those that know will know that they are really and truly. Um, you know, practicing what they preach and putting artists first and it's TuneCore. You know, they're one of the, you know, they're one of the giants in independent distribution, but they are one of the, the companies that we actually see taking a stand for their, their clients, which is, which is incredible. Um, and then BeatDap uh, to, to further uh, hammer home the fight against fraud. Um, you know, what BeatDap's doing is, is incredible. And um, I think that they're, you know, an absolute leader in the, in the marketplace and, um, you know, we really hope to, to see them become, you know, kind of an industry standard because, you know, when, when you get a, an overlay um, like theirs uh, in the data, it, it becomes really, really tough to, to cheat the system, um, which means that the honest actors get paid what they're due. Awesome. Well, glad to hear those shout outs because both BeatDap and TuneCore will be out in full force at the Music Tectonics Conference along with you guys as well. Lars, did you have any shout outs before we wrap up here? Oh, I'm, I mean, you asked about writers. I'm, I'm a big fan of Penny Fractions and David oh, yeah. Turner comes at it from a very uh, creator, uh, creator friendly uh, perspective. I think um, going back to my timelines, don't snooze on the majors. They're moving very fast these days. And, um, you know, the, the true innovations always happen at the indie level. Um, but what, what, what is amazing is, is how fast, uh, the, the response rates of the major labels have have gotten. And and you'd be surprised at, uh, you might be surprised at, at how much interest there is over there and what we're doing as well. So Super cool. Love it. Okay. Well, this has been awesome. Before we wrap up, one last thing. Lars, you've been to Music Tectonics. RoyFi is going to be there in full force. I'm curious, what are you looking most forward to at the Music Tectonics conference this year? First of all, I'm looking forward to uh, for a, another year of no fires. That will yes. be good. Me uh, too. Please. Uh, no, I, I mean, for me, just, just uh, it's a little bit like old home week and, you know, catching up with all of the interesting and exciting people that, uh, you know, we didn't see enough of each other during the pandemic, um, still feels like, uh, we're still making up for lost time. Definitely. Um, so there's that. And of course, you know, Mr. Harvey on a panel is always an entertaining prospect. Awesome. Well, Peter and Lars from Roy Fi, thanks so much for being on music tectonics. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, 
please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We have new episodes for you every week. Did you know we do free monthly online events that you, our lovely podcast listeners, can join? Find out more at musictectonics.com. And while you're there, look for the latest about our annual conference and sign up for our newsletter to get updates. Everything we do explores the seismic shifts that shake up music and technology, the way the Earth's tectonic plates cause quakes and make mountains. Connect with Music Tectonics on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. That's my favorite platform. Connect with me, Dimitri Vitsa, if you can spell it. We'll be back again next week, if not sooner. You're listening to Music Tectonics.